Hello, and welcome to the M&A Stories podcast. I'm Robert Heaton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. These 10-minute podcasts are focused exclusively on post-M&A integration. And in each episode, we will talk through case studies and draw on our own experiences with the intention of highlighting the good, bad and the ugly to leave you with valuable lessons on how best to ensure success in your M&A integration. So let's get this podcast underway. Hi Toby and good morning from lockdown Melbourne. How are you? Good, Robin. Hi, how are you going? I am good, mate, apart from the fact that we're still locked down, but never mind, I'm not going to go into that one uh, anymore. Oh, yeah, let's not go into it. I know it's something we rep- we, we talk about every week, but uh, yeah. let's yeah. not repeat no, it. Nothing's <laughs> changed. Now, we've got a fascinating topic this week on communication, and I understand we've got a guest joining us. We do indeed. And uh, let me introduce um, you to our uh, guest this week. Her name is Lindley Watson. And uh, Lindley is the managing director of uh, Peak Performance. And uh, she's also the author of a, of a great book called Avoiding the M&A Failure Club. And Lindley is also an executive coach and mentor. Now, this time we've got uh, Lindley talking with us about communication and the key to a successful corporate marriage. So what Lindley has for us this week is 10 top tips for communicating effectively during M&A. So I think I've given a hopefully a, re- a good introduction there, Lindley. Is that, do you think I've yes. covered everything there? Thank you, Toby. And it's great to be able to have a chat with you and Robert this morning. Very good indeed. Now, I'm interested yep. in this topic because it's a good one, uh, Lindley, good communication. It happens in all deals, M&A deals. But it's something that we could all be better at. It's just one of those key components, you know, dealing with any kind of change, but M&A in particular, good communication is absolutely critical. So when you open it up, what do you think the big things that immediately we should be discussing here? Well, it's really essential that it's done well. And um, over the years, I've seen all extremes from done very poorly to actually done very well. And I think there are some real key things to consider. And um, one of those key things is making sure that you're actually um, addressing the rational and the emotional aspects of change because Mm. it's changes an emotional journey. And I've got 10 tips, I think, if you like, that can help people along that journey. Yeah. And so yeah. starting with the aligning of expectations, because what I've seen, two companies coming together, quite often there's quite a difference in the habits that they have, or mm. there are vastly different expectations with the executive team and yep. how they communicate with people. And that's where things can really fall over right from the start. That's an interesting one. Have you had to give like a bit of an example there, sort of, uh, Lindley? Yes, a few years ago, we um, worked with an organisation and um, they'd done a lot of acquisitions. So Mm. they thought that they really knew how to do it. And they're really interesting and successful organisation. And they acquired another organisation that basically doubled their size. 
they had a very charismatic CEO. He loved walking around their office in Sydney and talking to people. And that started as a, a startup. So they had a small executive team and they really called all the shots. So they'd get together and have their meetings and then they would go and talk to their direct reports mm -hmm. and expect them to go and tell people what's going on in the organisation. And they didn't have an internal comms team. They didn't do much in the way of marketing. Right. It was pretty ad hoc, but they deemed it adequate. And obviously it had worked for them for a number of years. Mm. But when they acquired this other organisation who happened to be Melbourne-based, they had an, an internal comms team of six people, including a very senior stakeholder communications expert. Right. And open communication was one of their core values. Mm. And they had a wide range of different communication vehicles and channels that they used to keep people up to date. And one of the key things they had that was real core to their culture was this cascading team briefing pack that they okay. used to do every month. It was quite extensive. So they were sort of at, at different extremes, the acquiring organisation. It was only who needs to know. That was the way that they looked at it versus the other organisation, and it was everybody needs to know everything. It was central to their culture. And, yeah. of course, when the acquiring company came in, they thought that it was unnecessary spoon-feeding. Yeah. The communication basically stopped. Their way of doing it, the acquired company's way of doing it, was, was stopped. Mm. And the impact of that was that the leaders really did not know what to communicate, how to communicate, when to communicate, because there was this big void, yep. because yeah. it was deemed that, well, we'll tell you when there's something that you need to know, we'll let, and of course they just and were not on the same page. All of us, I think, can attest, when that happens, the whole thing falls over because you, you get uncertainty across the organisation, you get rumours started, yes. the, the whole thing just falls apart right from day one. And it just that, that if nothing else, really yes. reinforces that communication is absolutely critical. So yeah. where do we go? Next one. I was going to say, are there any more? I think, have we just done it all? <laughs> Another key thing is what you're talking about here. It's actually yeah. planning it. So, yes, the alignment of expectations is really important, but I think before that even, it's actually making sure that you do plan and prepare for each phase mm. and that it's well thought out, it's strategic, and it looks at each phase of the deal. It makes sure that you're talking to all your stakeholders and looking at the various ways that you can inform them and keep them up to date and that's something that you often find it just gets added to the CEOs or the CFOs or the HR person's day job. Mm -hmm. And yeah. really, that's when trouble starts. Right. So the point here is don't take an ad hoc approach. Actually plan and prepare. Definitely. And also plan for unwelcome situations. For instance, a leak to the media. Yeah. And you've got your communications ready to go so you're not right. on the back foot. Great. Okay. Well, I certainly agree with you on that one. Prepare and prepare for each phase. So, Lindley, what would be the next um, big tip you'd have? I think it's really important to make sure that you're taking everybody on the journey. And, and when I talk about that, I mean what happens when you've got the executive team and they've often been working on the deal for months. 
Mm. And so they're sort of sick of hearing it, about it. They sort of know what's going on and they forget that when it's announced, people are just hearing it for the first time. Yeah. And often they're in shock, so they're not taking it in. And often what happens is the idea is that they think that, oh, we've sent out an email about that last week. And, I, and they think that it's done. Instead of you know taking the time and the effort and repetition to make sure that, that people do get the message, they do understand, they do get the opportunity to actually digest what's going on, to ask questions and to go through the motions as they themselves would have done when they first started right. talking about the deal. Lindley, do you, do you find when you do that that it's important to make sure you've chosen the right people in the organisation to communicate because it's such an important topic that if you don't have the right characters communicating, you can often miss the message as well. You're so right there, Robert. And actually, one of the things that um, we've done um, quite successfully is making sure that the executives have a practice. Sometimes you send people out all over the show on, on day one and you've got all your executive teams scattered. It's really important to make sure that everybody um, is on message and everybody has had practice at answering questions that might come up, tricky questions. And yeah. yes, some people are better at communicating than others. So yes, it's important um, to have the CEO do certain things, but there may be other people within that executive team who are better placed and better able. But the reality is that if everybody has had the same practice, if you like, everybody should be capable of actually doing what needs to be done. So it's time yeah. for everybody to step up. Great. That's yeah. a really good that's a really good tip. Take everyone on the journey. Now Lily, the next tip I, I must know, I really do like, and I want you to explain this one because it is a great one. Talk why before the how and the what. Oh, I think that's, again, so important because people um, know that when you, you know, when you have a merger or acquisition, it's for business reasons. Mm. They want to know why the deal has been done, but they want to know more than just it's been done because we're hoping that we can all cut costs or, or make more money or whatever it is on the financials. They don't really care so much about the financials. I think once people understand the why, if, if there's a more compelling vision of the future and it's more compelling for the customers, if there's something, what's in it for them, what's in it for their customers beyond just making more money, um, there's less likely to be resentment. So I think it starts with why and then it's the how and the what and most of all what it means for them. I find this with an interesting one. Um, I actually did a podcast on this for myself a few weeks ago. But I think that in an M&A context, we're often very good at the how and the what. But often the why tends to be a bit missing, that very yes. powerful narrative that helps guide and give direction to others and to motivate them as well. So this is such an important uh, point, Linda. And that's one of the reasons for engaging professional communications people. Because mm. exactly what you said, Toby, it's the narrative. And often there is really good reasons why and really compelling um, stories behind it, but they don't get communicated well. So mm. really key when you start with your communications is the why. And I, I would think the other point as well, and I think you've got to go into this, Lindley, is tell it like it is. Because from my point of view, that's one of my bylines. Don't be ambiguous. Don't try and wrap something up in cotton wool. If it's bad news, well, 
make sure you deliver it and that people understand it, but but be clear, be absolutely clear in what yeah. you're saying. Oh, this one comes up a lot. I'm sure you've seen it numerous times that we don't anticipate making any changes or we'll take the best of both worlds. It's business as usual. Um, this um, is a merger. When it's clearly an acquisition, and we find that that does come back to bite leaders because it's very clear very quickly whether it is a true merger. And a true merger is very few and far between, in my view. And people do get um, really upset when they've been told it's a merger and they expect to be treated as an equal. And really, they realise that, no, this is a takeover. Yeah, from my own experience as well, and that is that when you're ambiguous about statements or comments that you're making, people read through that and they sort of know that that's not the full truth, so to speak. So they invent their own meaning of what they believe is reality. And then you get rumours spreading all over the place and your, your communication's gone out the window again. Yeah, and people can feel a real sense of betrayal if it's coming from leaders that they, they do trust or have trusted in the past and they feed them the, the, the lines and then they, they realise actually this is not true, then that's when rumours start and people get upset and, again, things start, start going sour with morale, etc. Mm, that's a very good one. So the next one, Lindley, make it a two-way process. Yes, I think the, the tendency is to think we have to push all these messages out, but equally important is to listen. And when you listen to people, they do feel more valued and they're, they're part of the journey. So there are so many tools around these days, listening tools that help to, to pick up the sentiment what's going on in the organisation, as well as obviously your normal face-to-face -face meetings and your, your group meetings, etc. But um, making sure that it's a two-way process helps uh, the leaders to understand what's going on, what their people are feeling so that they can address it. And also, when you're actually listening, you can stomp on some of the and make sure that the real messages are coming through. In a practical sense, Lindley, how would that work? Give me an example of how, how you'd see that actually play out. Well, from a feedback perspective or a, a, a listening perspective? From a listening perspective, I think that that's an important one. Yes. Well, I think normally you would have your, your team meetings and your one-on-ones, et cetera. But I would suggest yeah. these days that using um, a, a platform, like we use a platform called um, PECON, which is more an engagement survey style thing, right. um, various other platforms that you can use that are constantly pulsing, asking questions. And, and not the same question, but you right. might have a, a certain cycle. At the beginning, it might be weekly, then two weekly, then monthly, whatever. You're okay. asking questions and listening all the time. And um, the tools that are available, they do the text analysis and come up with the themes. And it also gives you the opportunity to address people one-on-one. -on -one. You then can interact, not necessarily knowing who that person is, unless they want you to know and you can deal with some of the issues and answer some of the questions. And sometimes people don't like asking questions in front of their team members, for instance. They, they may want to know what's going on with, with them, but have a specific thing that they want to be anonymous. So it's just really important to look at all the various channels that you can use to, to listen and to address that feedback and, and make it a priority. Now, one of the, th one of the things I 
notice we've had a conversation about Lindley in the past, you and I, and I think you're going to go on to this, is the informal network. But how do you actually build that into your communication strategy? That's a really key element of your communications because particularly when there's a communication void, it's that network that actually tries to make sense of the information. And if you can recognise who the ambassadors are, if you like, or those key influences within the organisation. You will know within the organisation who do people go to ask questions, who's the, who's got the loudest voice sometimes. So it's recognising who those key people are and really trying to engage them with good intentions for the organisation, really working with them as ambassadors. Very good, that, that's that's really good. You know, um, the next point which is, is an interesting one, which is like, what's in it for me? Or they prioritise the me issues. Yes, I mean, everyone's concerned with what's going to happen to me, aren't they? I mean, even if you're the, the CEO, probably especially if you're the CEO of the company being acquired, <laughs> but it's something that um, affects everybody. And the leaders, they're having to lead through situations where they don't know what's going to happen to them. And everybody's concerned with their own survival. And, and until they get the me issues sorted out, they're not really that concerned with the company issues. Mm. And it's really making sure that as a priorities, leaders address those issues and make sure that they communicate respectfully. And even if there's bad news, making sure that they let people know and, and that they're aware that people are watching what they're doing, how they're handling any restructures or redundancies. And that's a key thing for morale. Indeed, indeed. Because obviously the people ask, whenever these sort of things happen, it's like, do I have a job? And I mean, sometimes you don't know, of course, and then you've just got to be honest. But I think it's about treating people well, isn't it? It's yep. about treating them the way that you would like to be treated. Like I've had an instance where one of the organisations we were working with, they sent in a, a really junior HR person, like literally, I think it was the first time that she'd actually done this, sent her in to make one of the executives redundant. Wow. And she couldn't answer his questions and she had to keep texting and, and phoning people in the meeting to to deal with it and, and things like that. That's just disrespectful. That that actually is something I was thinking of while you were talking there, Lindley, and that is that, yes, you've got to treat people as decent human beings, you've got to communicate well, etc. It's about building trust and respect. Oh. Essentially, communication is all about trust, isn't it? Yeah. And it's the foundations of any successful relationship, whether that be personal or in the in the corporate world. And the thing about trust is it can take years and years to develop and only moments I knew, to destroy. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew what you were going to say then. I could not finish the sentence for you. <laughs> yeah, and that's really why it's so important to have this well-thought-out and well-executed communication strategy because when there's a lack of trust, innocent words and actions can be really twisted into something sinister. There's another example that I'll share. One organisation we were working with, the CFO told me a story about one day he was sitting in his office and out of the lift came a, a posse of people, he called them, 
came into his office and demanding, why has our milk order been cancelled? And he looked at them and thought, pardon? pardon? Yeah. <laughs> Things aren't so tight that we're cancelling the milk order. But the organisation that they'd just acquired, they were used to having all sorts of variations of milk and the other organisation wasn't. And so they had just presumed that their milk order had been cancelled. And um, he thought about, thought, how ridiculous. Are they really thinking that we're cutting costs to the extent that we're, we're not having milk anymore? Bring your own milk. And then, of course, he realised what it was was just a symptom that there was a lack of trust. It was all about they it got to the point with morale and with, with the relationships that nobody trusted what was being done. And he realised that was a point, actually, we really need to get our act together with our communications and really looked at that as a, as a trigger to start building better relationships. That's very, that's interesting, Lenny. It, it, it's, as we go through these points, so many, these points are so important you know, when it comes to the communication exercise in M&A. And there's a lot to this as well. And I suppose it really comes down to this, like the final point, and that's kind of having this sort of level of experience or expertise when it comes to managing the whole communication aspects within yes. an M&A deal. And I think the point really is making sure that you actually are partnering with M&A communication experts. Yes, I think it's really important because even if you do have a, an internal communications team, they're not necessarily expert at the sort of change communications that you need. And it's a big job. It's not just an add-on, as I said before. Often it does get placed on the HR and the, and the marketing team to actually come up with the messaging. But it is about really often having that objective view as well and being able to craft the messages and align expectations and capture the essence of the united culture that, that draws people together in a fresh way. So having that external set of eyes to work with the internal team mm. is really, really key to a successful outcome, I believe. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think that's been fascinating. I mean, there's, there's 10 topics there. Just for the audience that are listening, would you mind just summarising those 10 again? Just walk through them for us. Sure. My top 10 tips for communicating effectively during M&A, number one is align the expectations of all parties. Plan and prepare for each phase of the deal. Make sure that um, you take the time to prepare, deliver and digest the comms. Take everyone on the journey. Make sure that the leadership team are patient while everybody else comes up to speed. Talk why before how and what, making sure that there's a compelling reason that's communicated. Tell it like it is. Don't try and soften the blow with statements that are ambiguous and won't necessarily hold true. Ensure it's a two-way process, so communication, it's not just about pushing out the comms, it's about really listening and gathering the feedback and acting on it. Making sure you harness the informal network. Prioritising the me issues so that everybody um, is treated in a respectful way and um, they understand what's going to happen to them. 
and building trust by being trustworthy, making sure that um, you operate with integrity. And I would suggest that the final one is partnering with an M&A communications expert to help guide you through it. Brilliant. That's been a terrific conversation, Lindley. I'm really grateful that you've had time to join us today. Toby, do you want to give a vote of thanks and wrap up for us today? Yes, indeed. Look, uh, Lindley, this is really good. I, I, I do like these 10 points, and I think other people will find them fascinating as well, because you really have nicely condensed the key things to what is essentially a successful corporate marriage. So that's very good indeed. So, Lindley, all I've got to say is just like say thank you very much indeed. Um, you know, glad to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Toby and Robert. It's been a real pleasure. Nice chatting with you. <laughs> good. Thanks very much well, indeed. Well, I think that's a wrap. I think we can close off there. Lindley, thanks again from my side as well. That's a great checklist that any exec should be using as a, a checkpoint against their uh, communication strategy. All that leaves now is for us to sign off and as usual say bye for now.